Good evening. Good evening. Um, good to see y'all again. Uh, great privilege to be in the house of the Lord, and we thank um, God for His continued faithfulness and visiting us and ministering to us as we gather to Him uh, on this um, on Sunday mornings to to worship Him. And so tonight we're going to be talking. Uh, uh, go, going through our last sermon, my, my last sermon on the doctrine of Scripture. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to that. I hope this has been helpful to you and made a blessing to you uh, the way we understand and believe the, what we understand and believe the Word of God to be. But as we begin this morning, let, I mean this evening, let's continue in prayer. Lord, uh, we gather again tonight. To seek your face and always humbled by the privilege to meet with these uh, fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord uh, as we come to hear from you and to worship you and to sing praises, Lord, to you. I pray that that worship, Lord, would extend from this time and this place, Lord, into all our lives to every place we go and to every moment of every day, our thoughts and our words and our deeds, Lord, would be pleasing to you. And Lord, as we've been thinking about your word on Sunday nights, we're just reminded of what a great treasure it is, divine revelation from heaven. I pray now, Lord, that it would be the bedrock of our church, the bedrock of our lives, that on it, Lord, we would build um, a lives, a church, Lord, and ultimately a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we're grateful, Lord, that we are a part of that. So, Lord, continue to speak to us and to minister us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as I open, uh, I want to share with, give you a, a brief history concerning the sufficiency of the Bible, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. In the 200s, Gnostics, who were uh, Greek, Greek synthesis, who tried to synthesize Christianity with a Greek philosophy and religion, said that you needed a special secret knowledge to truly be saved. Uh, in other words, relatively shortly after the lives of Christ and the apostles in the early 200s and late 100s, really, um, they were saying the Bible wasn't enough. In 600 A.D., a man named Muhammad claimed to have vision from the angel Gabriel, I think it was. And he claimed that he was in the long line of prophets from Adam to Noah to Moses to Jesus. But now he claimed that he indeed was the final one, that Jews and Christians had got it wrong, that they had corrupted the Bible, and that now you need the Koran to know the truth. The Bible, he said, wasn't enough. In the Middle Ages, uh, the Catholic Church, over centuries, 
um, had layers and layers of tradition to accrue upon their teaching, which slowly solidified into an extra-biblical authority, whereby it was no longer uh, the Bible alone that was sufficient to know God and govern Christian life, but you need to uh, trust and follow the teachings and tradition of the church to be right with God. The Bible, they said, wasn't enough. In the 1800s, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses arose, and they claimed new truth and new interpretation over and against the 1800 year at the time teaching and testimony of the church concerning Christ and the gospel. And they brought forth the Book of Mormon and Watchtower publications, respectively, uh, to bring about new teachings. In other words, they said the Bible wasn't enough. And today, we have, uh, in our modern mind, we hold ancient documents with a high degree of skepticism and various people in science, sociology, and with our modern minds, um, might say something like, the Bible has some good moral teachings, but you can't really believe all that. Not only the Bible isn't enough, it's not even the real place you should be looking for, looking to, to life's, to the answers to life's questions. For so for 2,000 years then, we have been told uh, that the Bible isn't enough. I want to tell you tonight that the Bible is enough. Theologically speaking, we have a word, it, it, that is, it is sufficient. The sufficiency of Scripture. And that is what I want to talk about tonight in our final sermon on the series through uh, the doctrine of Scripture. Wayne Grudem says... The sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contained all the words of God He intended His people to have at each stage of redemptive history and that it now contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting Him perfectly, and for obeying Him perfectly. John Frame very nicely and succinctly says this, Scripture contains... All the divine words needed for any aspect of human life. Scripture contains all the divine words needed for any aspect of human life. So let's talk for a little while about the sufficiency of Scripture. First, Scripture is sufficient for salvation. Now, as I just mentioned, this is incredibly important because lots of people over the years have tried to add to the gospel, add to the scripture, add to salvation, saying you need more, you need to know more than what's in there to be saved. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul is writing to Timothy, you know, and he was talking about his, uh, his mother and grandmother, uh, Eunice and Lois, and, and how they taught Timothy in the ways of the Lord. And he says, Uh, He tells Timothy how from childhood he has been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, and get this, Paul's talking about the Old Testament. But he's saying, and Paul understood that the scriptures contained 
everything you need, everything necessary to be saved, to, to, to know what you need to know and believe what you need to believe so that you can attain through Christ a right standing before God. And of course, I think he would include in that his gospel, which he would understand to be um, a divine and authoritative interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures. But the point is, is that we don't need any, anything extra than what the Bible tells us to be saved. If you truly desire to know God and to be forgiven of your sins, everything you need to know is in that book. So the Bible is sufficient for salvation. Not only that, but the Bible is sufficient for Christian life and obedience. That is, the Bible contains everything we need to know so that we as Christians can live lives that are wholly pleasing to God. In 2 Timothy, in that same passage, uh, chapter 3, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, Paul understands that anything that you might possibly need to know in order to do something that will glorify God is contained in the Bible. That's it. Everything, every good work... The Bible is sufficient and complete and has everything you need to know in there to, com- to equip you for anything and everything good, anything and everything you might do as a Christian. In Psalm 119, the very first verse, he says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, Hebrew poetry um, oftentimes uses what's called a parallelism. And notice that those two statements are placed in parallel to one another. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. In other words, he's saying the person whose way is blameless is the person who walks in the law of the Lord. In other words, Everything that you need to know and believe and to do in order to be perfectly blameless before God is contained within God's word. Within God's law. And if we were able to walk perfectly in the law of the Lord, we indeed would be blameless. And so we conclude then that we do not need anything more than the Bible for salvation. And neither do we need anything more than the Bible for sanctification, for growing in holiness. Everything we need to know is contained in this book, enabling us to live lives that wholly, fully, and completely glorify God. Now, just to be clear, it's not that writings of other people aren't beneficial and helpful. They are. And in fact, I strongly encourage you to read um, books, good books by good authors on Christian living and theology and things like that. They're helpful, and they're really helpful uh, to see what other people see, but they're helpful insofar as they help illumine to you what the Scripture teaches. But it's to acknowledge that when we read other books, we are helped by them insofar as they bring out for us truth 
as otherwise contained in Scripture and helps us to understand it and apply it to our lives and to our heart. And so it doesn't mean that we don't read anything else besides the Bible. It just means that the Bible itself contains everything we need to know. Every, all the divine words that we need for Christian living and obedience. So, what are some benefits and encouragement from the doctrine of sufficiency? Well, the most important thing is this. The Bible contains everything you need to know to make, a, to make decisions in life. Any and every decision that you make, the Bible contains everything you need to know so that you can make a decision that honors God. And this is really important because life is hard. And you are faced with lots of dilemmas all the time. And you're faced with ethical questions that are very complex all the time. And you have <clears throat> and we have relational problems and we have sin problems and things happen that we don't understand and we have Feelings and desires sometimes that we don't understand. And, and it's, it's tempting to look everywhere else and let the last place that we look for answers to these questions is the Bible when God has said, look, everything you need to know is in this book. Life's biggest questions, the questions that Lots of times we don't, people don't like to think about. They don't want to take the time to think about. That is questions concerning our origin. Where do we come from? How, how did we get here? Questions about meaning. Why am I here? Think about that. That's an important question. Why do you exist? If there is a purpose for your existence and you're not in line with that purpose, by definition, you're wasting your life. Why are we here? Is there meaning? Questions about morality. Those are, that's a huge question. What is right? What is wrong? How do we know the difference? Questions about destiny. This is, this is huge. Is there life after death? Where do we go when we die? Is this life all there is? If there's life after death and the way you live this life affects your life after death, then that will change the way you live if you believe it. The Bible has the answers to these questions and ethical questions and dilemmas. Again, things are very complex. Things even get more complex now because of uh, science. Raising all kinds of questions uh, that 25, 50, much less 100 years ago, people couldn't even imagine. Questions that we're trying to answer um, because of uh, technological capabilities today. Uh, dating. The Bible never uses the word dating, but I think it says a lot about it. A lot of people don't want to hear it. Relationship, marriage, divorce, these are things that we deal with every day, and the Bible has stuff to say about that. 
The way we spend our resources that God has given us, our time, our energy, our money. The Bible speaks to those issues. The Bible speaks to us about human nature, emotions, depression. The Bible talks about that. There were depressed people in the Bible. Anxiety. There were anxious people in the Bible. Fear, guilt, shame, anger. The Bible has, uh, is, has everything we need to know to understand how our hearts work and how we should, under, and how we should understand ourselves. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that the Bible addresses everything. It obviously doesn't. <clears throat> and that's not what the definition of sufficiency claimed. What, what, it, what the sufficiency of Scripture means is that we have a sufficiency of divine words that God has given us. In other words, God has given us sufficient principles and wisdom and knowledge and understanding such that even when we face a question that is not explicitly mentioned in the Bible, we have the tools in our toolbox, so to speak, and the wisdom through the Holy Spirit to, to be able to always make a decision that's going to honor the Lord. So you don't, have to worry, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to be concerned about that. The Bible contains everything that we need to know. <clears throat> so when we talk about sufficiency... One of the questions that is raised, if you think about it, is that obviously there have been different amounts of Scripture at different points in redemptive history. In other words, we have more Scripture now than they had in the Old Testament and so on. So if you remember in the definition, he said that each, each age or generation had the sufficient divine words that they needed from God for them at that time, at that stage of redemptive history. And I think I talked a little bit about this last time. But God has revealed himself progressively, and that was on purpose. But each people at each different stage of redemptive history had the exact divine words that they need. Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sinned against God, God said, uh, there will be an offspring of woman... Uh, and he shall bruise Satan's head, and Satan shall bruise his heel. That's the gospel. A man is coming to undo, destroy the works of the devil. Well, that's all Adam and Eve needed to know. Then Noah came along, and he needed to know a little bit more. You need to build an ark. And then Abraham came along. And God revealed more to him. I'm going to bless you, and through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Then God gave the law to Moses. And the law, as we talked about, was precisely what God's plan called for and what Israel needed at that time for God to fulfill his purposes and his plan. And then later we read that King David was promised an offspring to sit on his throne forever. And that was precisely what David needed. And over time, we see that the picture is becoming more clear. That, that every uh, sacrifice, every uh, offering, every spotless lamb, everything there was in the Old Testament, it was pointing to something else. Every Wicked king 
turned our hearts to long for a righteous one. Everything was pointing to someone else. And then Christ comes at the fullness of time, and he is the full and final revelation from God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, Long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. Think about what the author of Hebrews is saying. First of all, he says, last days. He understood that Jesus brought in the last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. But he understood that Jesus was coming to bring in the end. In other words, Jesus is the final revelation from God. And he says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. In other And so he acknowledges in the past God spoke to us by other people, by prophets. But the contrast here is striking because he's, and if you read the book of Hebrews, that's his main point. Is that, but Christ is different. He's a prophet, but he's more than a prophet. He's a priest, but he's more than a priest. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Well, who's his son? The one who is heir of all things. Literally, he's the one to whom everything belongs and to whom everything will be given. In other words, he's the end. He's the point. He's the final revelation from God. So everything pointed to Christ. He's the fulfillment of every promise. And John Frame writes this. He says, when redemption is final, revelation is also final. I think that's a good word. I think if you read the Bible carefully, you'll see, and it becomes very clear, that Jesus was everything. He's the climax. He's the height of redemptive history. Therefore, therefore, we, we have no reason to expect any future revelation on par of equal authority with the Scriptures. That's very important. Because a lot of people have over the years attempted to add to the scripture. But I think the, the thrust of the scripture is very clear, very strong. The height, the climax of redemptive history has come. And so the fullness of revelation is here and we will need no more. The next revelation that we will receive that is in equal authority with the holy scriptures is the revelation of Jesus Christ when the skies roll back and the sun descends from heaven. And so the scripture then is complete and it is sufficient. And so what are some applications of this doctrine? First, we should approach the Bible confidently when we have any question concerning what we should think or do. We should approach the Bible confidently. There's lots of questions about lots of things that people have. The Bible should be one of the first places that we turn to 
And we should approach it knowing that if we seek God diligently and are willing to obey what he's going to tell us, then he'll show you. He'll tell you what you need to know. Now, that being said, there's some matters that when you read the Bible, you'll see that the answer is going to be, you know, either way. For example, if you post the Bible and you, and you ask the Bible, well, should I kneel when I pray or should I stand when I pray? The Bible's going to say, pray. <laughs> right? In other words, there are some things that we just use uh, common sense and biblical prudence for that God gave you those things for a reason. And that are not, uh, you know, frankly, they're not that theologically significant. The, the lots of things in, in life have to do with motive and the heart. In other words, there are lots of things that it doesn't matter what, you, what decision you make concerning a particular issue. Should you get 1% milk or 2% milk? You know, I've heard people praying about stuff like that. What kind of peanut butter should I buy? I don't know if God's super concerned about that, honestly. But are you, are you trying to live a life that honors the Lord? All right? If your health is bad and your doctor told you to buy skim milk, it may be a sin for you to buy 2%. Okay? It might be. In other words, it's a heart issue. It's a condition of your heart and your conscience before the Lord. Um, I think a lot of people, though... Now, sometimes, just because the Bible doesn't speak specifically to a lot of issues today, people make the mistake of thinking, well, the Bible has nothing to say concerning that issue. And I think you'd be surprised at the number of issues that if we apply biblical wisdom and principles to, the Bible speaks quite directly to you. So we must know the Scriptures and think critically about them. Another application of this efficiency of Scripture is that we are to add nothing to Scripture. We're to add nothing to Scripture. Now, um, that doesn't mean that we don't experience by the Holy Spirit uh, internal guiding. You know, I've said from this pulpit before things like, I, things like uh, you know, I feel like God said this to me. Well, what do I mean when I say that? I don't mean that um, I'm sitting there writing down new scripture that should be added to the back of our Bible. What I mean is that I believe the Holy Spirit of God has impressed upon me some truth that I, that, that I believe is from the Lord that he wants me to do. For example, if I'm out and about and I feel like the Holy Spirit says, you need to go talk to that person about Jesus, well, if I think about it, the sin in my heart's not telling me to do that because I don't want to go talk to that person, to be honest. The devil certainly ain't telling me to go tell somebody about Jesus, so the only person left is God. He must be telling me, All right? <clears throat> so God does lead us by the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean he's giving us divine revelation on par with Scripture. Um, and so, again, as I've said before, we should be intensely skeptical of any claim uh, that there is further uh, authoritative revelation from God. Wayne Grudem wrote this, Whenever challenges to the sufficiency of Scripture have come in the form of other documents... To be placed alongside scripture, the result has always been, one, to de-emphasize the teaching of the Bible itself, 
and two, to begin to teach some things that are contrary to Scripture. This is a danger of which the church must constantly be aware. And, and he's right, if you think about it. Anytime there has been a challenge to the doctrine of sufficiency where someone comes along and says, I have received new authoritative revelation from Scripture, virtually without fail, the effect of that teaching is that the, the Bible is de-emphasized in favor of this new teaching, which gets all the emphasis, and then eventually this, uh, um, uh, teachings that are contrary to Scripture come forth from it. And so these are dangers of which we must constantly be aware. We're not to add to Scripture. Another application of sufficiency. Nothing is sin that is not forbidden by Scripture, either explicitly or by implication. Let me say that again. Nothing is sin that is not forbidden by Scripture, either explicitly or by implication. Now, this is important. This helps us guard from legalism by identifying certain behaviors with Christianity that uh, there's not a a one-to-one correspondence. And what I mean is, uh, just like we talked about this morning with the Judaizers, by... um, Forbidding things that the Bible doesn't forbid, you are adding uh, to the gospel. You are, you are adding requirements to salvation that the Bible doesn't make. Uh, the, the, the famous biblical example of this is uh, eating food that's uh, offered as a sacrifice to idols. So in, in the Roman culture... Uh, it was polytheistic. They were offering uh, sacrifices and temples all over the Roman Empire to their, uh, the Roman gods of, of, our mytho- of our mythology books. And they would offer these animals, and then lots of times they'd take the meat and they'd go sell it in the meat market. And there was the question among Christians, should I eat the meat? The, the meat was offered to idols. Is it okay if I eat it or not? Well, that's a legitimate question, isn't it? Well, some people who used to worship idols, they said, I can't eat it because they feel like if they eat the meat that was offered in a sacrifice, they're participating in the worship. Their conscience bound them to where they feel like they were sinning if they ate that meat. Paul says, don't eat it. But then there were, but Paul also says this, he says, but we know that there's no such thing as an idol. Those, aren't, those gods don't exist. They're not real. So there is a freedom that they have in Christ. In other words, it's not always sin to eat meat offered to idols, but if your conscience binds you, you shouldn't eat it. And if you have freedom of conscience on that matter, but you have a friend that doesn't, you shouldn't try to make him eat, eat meat offered to idols, nor should you invite him over to supper and have some cooked up. Okay? In other words, the, the Christian principle is love. Your neighbor. And so we shouldn't add things that are um, forbidden by Scripture. Uh, We shouldn't add things that aren't forbidden by Scripture and and, um, say that in an authoritative way. And the, the corollary to this, the equal and opposite corollary to this, is that nothing is required of us except what Scripture requires. So we don't forbid what the Bible forbids, nor do we require what the Bible doesn't require. Remember, the Pharisees committed this sin. They exalted the tradition of man and made it equal to the word of God. In fact, Jesus said, 
you hold to the tradition of man instead of the word of God. They were using their own traditions to trump God's word. You know? Um, an example of this uh, that is, uh, that's worth talking about is, is clothing style. Uh, many years ago, um, everyone wore a suit and tie to church. There's nothing wrong with that. And it was a symbol of honor. I get it. It was a symbol of honor and respect. I'm giving to God my best. I respect that. Uh, that's not a bad thing at all. But over time, the culture changes, and my millennials and my generation, who lots of people don't like, and that's fine, um, it's just the way you dress is just not a big deal. I mean, and it's not a simple, we're not trying to disrespect anybody. That's just, we just, you know, dressing up is just not a big thing. Well, you know, Jesus wore a robe to church every Saturday on the Sabbath, all right? And he probably wore sandals too. In other words, we cannot add, require something of people that God doesn't quote, require to know him. And so we have to be careful about that. Of course, every church is going to have its own culture and that kind of thing, and that's not a big deal. But we must remember that we can't require what God, what the Bible doesn't require. Uh, and finally, the final application, and I'll be finished tonight, and that is because of the doctrine of sufficiency, we need to be content with the revelation we have. We need to be content with the revelation we have. The reason why this is important is because sometimes people go off on these crazy journeys of speculative theology that, frankly, the Bible is just not clear about, and it, frankly, can be dangerous to try to uh, be dogmatic about things which the Bible is just not clear Will Rover, my black lab, be in heaven? I don't know. I really don't know. Probably not. But I don't know. And I just don't know how helpful it is to speculate about it. When is Christ coming back? Look, there have been people who have literally devoted their whole lives studying history and doing magic number games to come up with the, the exact precise date that Jesus will return, and guess what? They've all been wrong. And I don't question the faith of those people, but I think to myself, what, what a waste. All the energy and time they devoted to find something that the Bible explicitly says nobody knows. And other questions. Who is the Antichrist? I'd like to know. <laughs> the Bible doesn't tell us. Right? The Bible doesn't tell us everything that can be known. It tells you everything you need to know. And so we should be content with the revelation that we have. And so um, let me summarize the past four weeks really briefly. We've talked about the Bible is authoritative. It is divine revelation. And as such, it is the final authority to every matter to which it speaks. And for God's glory and for our joy, we should yield to it at every point. The Bible is inerrant. It is 100% accurate on all matters, especially, of course, matters of faith, theology, and practice. But even when it speaks to some other matter, such as history uh, or science, for that matter, it is accurate. 
the Bible um, is what I talked about last week. Somebody help me out. <laughs> See, I'm not the only one who forgot. Um, clarity and necess- necessary. The Bible is clear. You have no excuse for not reading it and understanding it. The Bible is necessary. We need God's word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And finally, the scripture is sufficient. We'll never have the excuse to stand before God and say, you didn't give me what I needed to know. He's given it to us all. But because of all these doctrines as well, we have unconquerable confidence that when we approach this word with hearts willing uh, to, to obey, eyes willing to see and ears willing to hear, God will speak. We will and can understand. We, we can gain wisdom for everything, every matter, every question that we have. And, and from it, we can gain everything we need uh, from God. And that's a strong confidence that we have in his word. We're going to sing a final song of commitment. If the Lord has spoken to you or you want to talk to me or someone about how you can know 